Happy New Year. Year. (laughs) It's been a good one so far, hasn't it? Yeah, it surely has. It is a pleasure to preach on the first Sunday of 2019 at Forest Heights Baptist Church. I appreciate so much your pastor, Brother Purdy, inviting us to be here. It's just really a joy. And uh, we're, we're pushing our brains to go back a few years, okay? And we're, we're trying to bring up some of those wonderful memories we had of our eight years here. Uh, not right here, but over yonder, okay? And uh, all of our members are over there. But we remember the community. We certainly do. I'm glad to have my wife, Sue, with me today. Sue, would you stand up a minute? She doesn't like that. Okay. (laughs) Just in case you didn't meet her. On December the 23rd, just last month, uh, we celebrated our 53rd wedding anniversary. (laughs) We were married on December the 23rd at 7 o'clock in the evening. I cannot forget it. I cannot forget it. Okay? And uh, we were between semesters, and I was in seminary, she was in college, and so we had to hurry up and get married so we'd go back to school, you know. So uh, it's just been a wonderful 53 years for me. I don't know about her. Okay? (laughs) But uh, I give you greetings from South Georgia, the land of fire ants and gnats. <laughs> and I'm t- has anybody ever lived in South Georgia? All right, you know what I'm talking about. And I never realized uh, that until we got there. And so, you know, you've got to pour all kinds of stuff on you to keep these things off. And then if you're out working in the yard and you don't watch this little mound, you know, and step on, they're all over you before you can get away. And so, uh, I, in, in that realm, I'd sort of like to move back up north, okay? But we've enjoyed it there. I retired in 06 uh, from Patterson Baptist Church after having served there 26 years. And uh, so, we just enjoy, have enjoyed our time there. So, I was sharing with Brother Purdy, uh, we lived in the pastorium there for 26 years. And uh, we didn't know where we were going to live after I retired, but the Lord worked all that out. I'll not take you through all the details, but he worked all that out. And I want to praise the Lord today. We live on four acres of land in a brand new home. Praise God. And because of the generosity of, of people in the church and some other ways that God blessed us, we never dreamed that would happen to us. But we're thoroughly enjoying our time there. Uh, I'm in my fifth interim uh, ministry. I've been there for 20 months at this church. And uh, I'll tell you, the average for finding a pastor these days is two years. That's the average throughout the Southern Baptist Convention. But we have gained some really tremendous friends there. And uh, I think they're in contact with somebody, I hope. Okay, and my children, Michelle and and Joel, are telling me, Daddy, you don't need to do another interim, okay? So I'm not sure I'll listen to that. But but anyway, it's it's just a wonderful blessing to be with here to be here with you today. I want to share some memories with you, if I may. And since we're eating lunch downstairs, we don't have to go out afterward and find lunch. So I guess I can go a little longer. Oh, oh, all right. I'm sorry. I'll try to cut it short, okay? (laughs) So we came to Talmadge Heights from Atlanta in October of 1970. That's been 48 years ago. Our daughter Michelle was six weeks old. She is now 48 years old. She has pleasant memories of, of riding her bike up and down the driveway there, and we were just texting her 
yesterday, I believe it was, and she said she remembered that plus rolling down the embankment of the, the sidewalk that goes into the second level, Bobby. She used to play on that bank there. And so she has some pleasant memories too. And uh, so uh, she is now and has been for a number of years, about 20 years almost now, a hospice nurse. And that's her ministry to people these days. <clears throat> Occasionally we'll be in Walmart or somewhere and somebody will come up and say, your daughter was a real blessing uh, to us in the death of our loved one. So she's in the ministry too. And she has led people to the Lord. She prays with them. She encourages them in this very difficult time that we've all experienced probably. Our son Joel was born at St. Mary's Hospital here in Athens on June the 14th, 1975. He is now 43 years old. He's married with one son. He's an engineer at Lockheed Martin and has very pleasant memories of the adults who worked with him when he was a small boy at Talmadge Heights Baptist Church. As a pastor, I have strongly encouraged the growth of the Sunday school in all the places where I have served in the years of my ministry. And at one point uh, in our ministry here at Talmadge Heights, I remember we promoted for a while uh, high attendance day in Sunday school. And so it came to that day, and we, we had 150 in Sunday school right there on the second floor of that three-story building. And I want to tell you, my friends, Sunday school is the way to grow the church. I've seen it happen over and over and over again. In our ministry there at, uh, in South Georgia, at Patterson, Georgia, I was there about three years, and in a town of 800, can you believe? I couldn't believe I was there after I arrived there in a town of 800, after being here and in Atlanta. I couldn't believe that. But we had 425 in Sunday school on a given Sunday. Now, that was not our average, obviously, but the church is still going at over 200 in, in, in Sunday school attendance. And so I've really felt that that was so important to all of our ministries uh, throughout the years. Another totally unrelated memory I have is of the tornado in uh, 1973. I think it was in March. Any of you remember that? Okay. We lived in the pastorium back behind the church, okay? And some of you remember where that was, not is. And uh, the, the storm was getting very, very threatening. And so we had little Michelle. And so we decided to leave the pastorium and run across the parking lot and go into the church thinking that would be safer. And we got over there and I was fiddling with the key trying to get the door open, you know, and all scared and nervous. And we finally got in there, and about the time I opened the door, the funnel cloud passed over Prince Avenue. And I believe there was a lady who, who died uh, in that storm that very day. But, brother, if you've ever been outside to hear that funnel cloud pass over, it is a noise. I cannot forget that. The pastorium, and I'm, I may cry, so just, okay. The pastorum is now gone. No, I'm not going to cry. But it was located what is under now the parking garage of uh, the hospital. That's where it was. And their memories buried in that ground down there somewhere. Okay. And I went around on Pine Needle uh, after we arrived Friday and tried to figure out exactly where the house sat. And after a while, I figured pretty much where it was, but uh, there are many pleasant memories buried in the ground right there, okay? Then when we arrived Friday, we went over to the Talmadge Heights location and 
my office when I was pastor there was just inside uh, the door of the first floor. You all know where that is. And now it houses, as I understand it, uh, from reading the signs and all, the security team for the hospital. I believe that's what it is now. And so I thought, well, I don't know about going into an office where everybody has a gun and a big belt on, you know, and, and I thought, well, should I knock on the door or not? And the outside door was ajar slightly, and I thought, okay, this is my last chance. I'm going to take my chance. So I pulled the door open. Nothing happened. I walked in and looked in the door of my former pastor's office, and there was no one sitting at the desk. There were four desks in there and, uh, and these belts laying on the desk, you know. And I thought, well, I don't know. I stood there a minute, and my mind went wild as I looked and thought way back under, you know. And then I heard somebody talking through a door. And finally, I got up the courage to knock on that door. And I thought, what's going to happen now? So a young man opened the door, and I told him who I was. And we were just there to reminisce just a little bit. And uh, I told him, you know, my office was right there. And then he took me down the hall to meet a lady who had been working in the system there for 26 years. And uh, she remembered some of the things back in the past. Very nice lady. And I talked to another guy there. But when I stepped in that hall, my mind uh, went back to all those days. And so next door to the church, and all of you know this, I'm sure, is the home of Sarah Talmadge, who is now deceased. Uh, Several years ago, we visited her. I don't know exactly when it was, but she was 98 years old at that particular time. And while we were here in Athens at the church, uh, sometimes, and by the way, she died at 102 after going to a nursing home, I believe. Uh, a tough lady, let me tell you. But while I was pastor there, I would be over at the church and uh, she would be maybe out in the backyard, and we would visit and talk for a while. And on one occasion, she asked me to help her do something very, very special and very unusual. She had squirrels running in her attic, okay? And that's aggravating. It really is. She could hear them, I'm sure, uh, while she was trying to go to sleep, maybe, or whatever. But she wanted me to use her shotgun. <laughs> a senior adult lady with a shotgun is very dangerous. Don't you, <laughs> don't you dare knock on her door when she's the only one in that huge house. And I thought, well, okay. Uh, so she wanted me to use her shotgun and shoot the squirrels that I would see out there in those big oak trees. Whenever I would see one, just shoot it, you know. And then she got permission, you know, from the city for me to shoot the shotgun or whoever she could find to shoot it uh, inside the city limits. And so uh, when I would shoot the squirrels, she had told me, now there's going to be a 55-gallon drum sitting right here, uh, at the base of the, it, up near the house there. And she said, every time you kill one, drop it in that 55-gallon drum of water just to make sure it's dead. Okay. <laughs> I never heard of that. But, you know, some people eat squirrels. I, I, I've never eaten one. I don't think I want to eat one. But so, you know, over a period of time, uh, I would do that. And uh, so then... Uh, after killing several squirrels and placing them in the 55-gallon barrel of water, uh, I was in the office one day inside the building. Okay, well, the 12-gauge shotgun was inside my office. Okay, and you know how the windows fold out over there. You know, they fold out like this, and there's a little space up at the top of the window. Okay, 
I was sitting at my desk, and I saw a squirrel in a tree right across the driveway. It was very close. And I thought, ah, okay. And I ill-advisedly took the shotgun, sitting, or I stood up, and standing in the office, I put it in that little strip across there, and aimed at the squirrel. It was about the right, you know, like this, about the right level and pulled the trigger of that 12-gauge shotgun inside my office. I've never heard a blast like that. I've never been as close to a blast like that. Well, guess what? The squirrel ran on up the limb. I missed the squirrel. And then about destroyed my ears, I think, for a while. And so there, there are many other things we could share with you. But they are very pleasant memories of our time at Talmadge Heights Baptist Church. Now, in regard to homecoming, I want to take you to the 15th chapter of Luke. And I want to share with you, out of your Bibles, there about coming home. I want to share with you something you've probably never heard, or maybe you have, out of Luke 15 about a very outstanding homecoming event. Luke 15, I know that you're familiar with this. And let's just read this passage in Luke 15, 11, okay? I'm reading from the New King James Version. And he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, Give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed the swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he rose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and sandals on his feet. And bring forth the fatted calf here, and kill it, and let us eat, and be merry. For this my son was dead, and is alive again. He was lost, and is found. And they began to be Mary. Father, thank you so much for this tremendous homecoming of this son, the homegoing of this son. We thank you for this wonderful story, and we pray that we may ap make application of this wonderful event, very familiar to us all, to our experience here today. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. So, when I thought about homecoming, I thought about Luke 15, very familiar. The word home is not mentioned, but it certainly is implied. Father is mentioned in verse 9. Mother is not mentioned, but certainly is implied. Because how can you have two sons without a mother? So, women in that day were not heavily recognized. That's probably the reason uh, a mother is not mentioned. 
But home, my friends, is where we enjoy being, is it not? So the son wants to go home. Uh, to him, it is a very unforgettable place. On his mind, always, as he was there in the far country, celebrating his life as he thought he was celebrating it, but he really wasn't. And so the Bible says that this is not necessarily a parable. It's actually a story, I believe. There may be some debate on this. But it says, Jesus says there was a certain man. There was a certain man. And because of those two words, I believe there was an actual story, an actual uh, prodigal son, an actual father. I, I believe it was a real story with which Jesus was familiar. And from this story, I want us to draw some practical applications today. First of all, let me share with you out of this background that home is where our needs can be met. Home is where our needs can be met. After this son had had his wild fling and a famine had occurred in the land, he had wasted all of his inheritance and lost all of his worldly friends. He was so needy that he took a job feeding the hogs. And you know, the Jews were not supposed to eat pork, but there he was feeding hogs of all animals. To eat carob pods, which were mentioned in the passage here, would lower him to a hog's level, which he was not willing to do. No one would meet his need. His mind went back to the days before he left home. He had plenty of time to think out there in the hog pen, didn't he? He was at the bottom of his life, as it were. All the thrills were gone, and there he sat thinking about home. He remembered that he was never hungry at home because he says in verse 17, but when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. He was about maybe to die with hunger. He was perishing with hunger. My servants always have all they need to eat. But here I am. I have nothing to eat. I'm going home, he said to himself. Have you ever considered your church as your spiritual home on earth? Now, I know we have our individual homes. But to me, my friends, our, the church body of believers is in some ways a home, isn't it? It's a place where we can come and enjoy being here. We call it sometimes my home church, okay? And so it is really a home. It's my spiritual family. You see, in order to get into the family, you have to be born naturally in a natural family, right? You're born into the natural family. Okay, in order to be in God's family, we have to be born into the spiritual family by the new birth, by trusting Jesus Christ as our Savior. So when we gather as a church family, there are several things that can happen when we gather with our church family. Our emotional needs can be met. This son was so discouraged. He was so defeated. He was so disappointed. And in our times, my friends, of emotional stress and gathering with our spiritual family really lifts our spirit, doesn't it? Have you ever been there? You come into the church family and you're, you're just hurting emotionally. And all of a sudden, as we worship and sing these great songs that we have sung and we fellowship with one another, that burden seems to be lifted. And so when we come to our church family, our emotional needs can be met. And then our spiritual needs can be met. This son was not only physically hungry, 
Though the Bible doesn't say this, I believe he was also spiritually hungry. And when we come and fellowship with the family of God, our soul is fed. When we hear the pastor preach the word of God, then our soul can be fed. And we ought to come into the house of God with an appetite for the word of God. We ought to come in desiring uh, to know more of the Word of God and how best to apply the Word of God to our lives. And we go out having been spiritually fed. And so I believe there was a spiritual vacuum in the life of this young man. Then our social needs can be met. He had lost all of his frolicking friends, hadn't he? Those kind of friends don't last long, do they? No. They don't last long. And some of us here today may have learned that by experience. You know, they just don't hang with you because they're not committed to you. They're committed to themselves. So he'd lost all of his frolicking friends. He sat in lonely isolation there. And you know what, my friends? People need other people. Sometimes Sue will go off with her friend to shop, you know, and be gone most of the day. And you know what? Sitting at home by yourself is a little tough, isn't it? And some of you may be having to do that right now. And so being alone does not meet our needs. Our social needs can be met when we come together with the family of God. Proverbs 18, 24 says, A man who has friends must himself be friendly. And so, uh, I think that people whose names are on the church roll and have been born into the family of God ought to be gathering when the family of God gathers. I just believe that, Pastor. Now, we have... Did you know that the average attendance in Southern Baptist churches is beginning to decline? You know why that is? Because members of the church are coming one Sunday, skipping a Sunday, and coming the next Sunday, and skipping another Sunday. And many are not coming to the Sunday night services, and many are not coming to the Wednesday night services at all. I see it in the church where I'm uh, interim pastor. There are people who come just to the worship service. Just to the worship service. And call that committed Christianity. I don't think that's what the Bible calls it, friend. I don't think so. The Bible says, forsake not the assembling of ourselves together. Don't turn your back on your spiritual family. And so we find implied here that home is where our needs can be met. Then secondly, home is where we can be forgiven. Home is where we can be forgiven. Look in 18 and 19. He said, I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. He admitted his need of forgiveness. In verse 18, he felt that he had sinned against God. And in his loneliness and isolation, God spoke to him about his sin. And sometimes in our quietest moments, in our most isolated moments, is when God reminds us that we have been disobedient, right? Because when we're busy, we can sort of push that aside. We've got other things to think about. But when we cease our activity and become, as it were, isolated, God begins sometimes to speak to him, as I believe he did to this young man. He also felt he had sinned against his father and home and family. He knew that his dad would forgive him. From his point of view, he had embarrassed his father as he thought personally about all this. He would be willing 
not to be called his son anymore. Isn't that a change of heart? I'll go back. I'll go back. And I don't even want to be called my daddy's son anymore. That's what I'm willing to do. I'm no longer worthy, he said, because of all that I have done to be called your son. He was willing to be nothing more than a hired servant in his father's household where he was born and grew up. I think he might have had this thought. A dad like you doesn't need a son like me. I read the story, a little statement by Mark Twain, uh, and this is one of his best-known remarks, and I think it's worth repeating. Mark Twain said, When I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much the old man had learned in seven years. <laughs> Have any of you experienced that? You see, this young guy took off and thought his father didn't know what it meant to have a good time. So he was going to make himself have a good time. But you see, his father knew better. But his father was wise enough to let the son go. He let him go. He didn't force him to stay at home. He let him learn a lesson. And he did indeed. And so he acted on his need of forgiveness. He said, I will arise. And he arose and came to his father. We can also know that our church home is a place of forgiveness. Sometimes we sin against our church family. How do we do that sometimes? Sometimes we sin against our church family with our tongue, don't we? The Bible says in James, the tongue no man can tame. How many Baptist churches have been broken up because of one member of the body? Very small, the tongue. It has happened over and over, and it continues to happen in our uh, churches. We criticize sometimes with our tongue and condemn. And sometimes also we break up the fellowship with our attitude, with our outlook as we come into the family of God. And so as a spiritual family of God, we should express forgiveness and not hold grudges. You might say, well, why are you talking about this at homecoming? Because it's the truth. <laughs> Can we tell the truth, Pastor? <laughs> it is the truth. Okay? In Colossians, in Colossians chapter 3 and verses 12 and 14, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, and long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ also forgave you, so also must we do. Our home church should be a family offering forgiveness, whatever a church family member has done. And that's hard to do, isn't it? It's very difficult to do. To know that somebody's acted in a way that we do not approve of. But when they show up at the door, we should never avoid them. Okay? We should welcome them into the fellowship and forgive them uh, if there is something that they need to be forgiven of. And so our home church should be just like that, offering forgiveness. And then thirdly, home is where we can feel welcome. In verse 20 and 21, And he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. The son 
put into action what he had planned to do. He didn't sit in the hog pen and say, someday, someday later, I'll go home, but not right now. But you see, as I mentioned earlier, the thing that motivated him, he was now on the bottom, wasn't he? Now he's thinking as he should think. He knew his father well enough to know that he would be welcomed, so he left the hog pen and began his journey home. I can imagine, though it's not in the Scripture, him saying something like this to himself. You know, I can't wait to see my dad and my mom and just give them a big old hug when I get home. Because I haven't had that experience since I've been gone. I remember those experiences when my dad would hug me and lead me and guide me and my mom as well. And I can't wait to get back home where I know I'll feel welcome. Use your imagination with me. I'm not trying to write scripture this morning, but I'm just sort of digging into my thoughts of something that could have happened here. Maybe in our imagination one evening, his dad was sitting on the front porch thinking about his son, and he might have thought, I wonder if my son is still alive. Where is my son? I have not heard from him since he left. Is he safe? Will he ever come home, my son? I can imagine as he sits there on the front porch, the sun is beginning to set, and he looks down the road, and he sees movement. He cannot hardly identify what the movement is down the road. And yet, in a few seconds, he says to himself, that's my son. That's my son. His son, I can imagine, he just has his head down, and he's just walking along. He's on the bottom side of his life. He doesn't have much strength left. He's been walking for a long time, maybe. But his, son, his father pulled up his long outer robe above his knees, and he ran faster than he ever had. And when he reached his son, he hugged him, and he kissed him. In those days when men kissed, I don't know about these days, but anyway, <laughs> uh, when men kissed in those days, they touched the cheeks. That's the way they kissed, okay? And the Bible says it indicates he just kept on touching cheeks with his son. He was just so delighted to see him. And the Bible says he had compassion on him. And that word means to have pity and feeling or deep emotion because it means to suffer with another. If you look into the Greek language of the New Testament, it's sympatheo. What does that sound like? That sounds like sympathy, doesn't it? And that's where our word sympathy comes from. And so it means to have mercy and to show kindness. And so to the son... It was a home going. To the father, it was a home coming. That's what it was. And the father did not scold his son when his son arrived there. Here's something he could have said. He could have said, son, you wasted your inheritance. I worked hard for you. You embarrassed our family, and he could have gone on and on and on against his son. But he didn't do that. He didn't ask where he had been, nor who he had been hanging out with. There was never a word of condemnation, only a word of welcome. You know what, my friends? Our churches should be a place where people and everyone, every person, is welcome. 
regardless of their background, regardless of whether they're wearing a tie or not, or a suit, they may have jeans and a t-shirt and flip-flops. I don't know. But I want to tell you, my friends, church ought to be a place where everybody is welcome. Right? And we ought to be at the door saying, we're so glad to have you. We're so glad to have you. Come in and have a seat and make them feel welcome. That's what church is all about, is it not? Absolutely. And so that son went home. He knew deep in his soul that his daddy would welcome him regardless of what he had ever done or where he had ever been. There should not be a hypocritical approach to people who come in who don't look like me. It doesn't make any difference what color your skin is or what your background is. Everybody ought to be welcome in our churches. Isn't that right? Absolutely, it's right. The real church home is where everyone is welcome. Last of all, home is where we can have fellowship. You know how to define fellowship? This man might know. Two fellows and a ship. That's what fellowship is. Two fellows and a ship. Those little boats of the early days, they were about 26 feet long and about 7 feet wide. Two fellows and a ship was pretty close fellowship, wasn't it? So fellowship in the church is wonderful. We, we, we say the fellowship hall is downstairs. Or we're going to have a fellowship time after service. And so fellowship and sistership, I guess you would say whatever you call that, but brothers and sisters can have fellowship. In verse 22 and 24, but the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead, not physically, but spiritually. And he is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Notice the preparation for the fellowship. First of all, he prepared the son. The Bible says he took the best robe. He laid aside all those dirty, smelly clothes that he had worn in the hog pen. And he put on his best robe. These robes were always reserved for special and important guests. Then he put a ring on his hand or on his finger. The ring was a sign of authority in those days. And then he put sandals on him. You see, servants in those days went barefooted. But regular people uh, wore sandals. And so he put the sandals on him. He prepared the sun. And then he prepared the meal. That's pretty appropriate for homecoming, isn't it? That's what I thought about. We're going to have a meal down here. I don't know about fatted calf, but we're going to have a meal. And so he prepared the meal. It was meat. It was fatted calf. Meat was not usually eaten at a normal meal in those days. But on special, very special, outstanding occasions, they had meat. It was a fatted calves. They were uh, reserved for these special events. And, and so it was cooked on the fire, probably. And the son, can you imagine how his stomach was growling when he got home? We've never been that hungry, have we? I don't think I have. But he was desperately hungry. He could have eaten the hog food, the pods that lay on the ground, but he would not identify with the hogs by eating that food. And so they prepared the sun and prepared the meal. 
But notice they participated also in the fellowship. In verse 23, he said, let us eat and be merry. Imagine the father. He pops his hands and he gets the attention of all the family there. And he says, folks, it's time to eat. It's time to eat. Our son has come home. And he has the blessing, as we do sometimes, a lot of times, all the time. And he sat down and ate that luxurious meal. Can you see that son devouring that grilled beef, green beans, and mac and cheese? <laughs> I don't know where they had that in those days or not, but, you know, they had something that, that people liked to gobble up, Okay. And this son was desperately hungry. Can you imagine that when he ate the first plate, he said, I need another helping. Let me have another helping. I'm still hungry. And he just kept on eating and kept on eating. And after the meal, they celebrated the homecoming. It was merry. It really was. There was laughter and joy and it says here, there was music and dancing, okay? Now, I'm not advocating that particularly, but that's what they did in those days, okay? That was common to them. And so they celebrated with the music and dancing. And you know what? It was so loud that the son's older brother out in the field heard it. But he did not come running to celebrate. You know what he did? He grumbled. And that's the reason I'm not even going to deal with him this morning. I just simply mentioned him. Uh, I hesitate to even do that. But he heard what was going on, my friends. And when we have a fellowship in the church, there ought, it ought to be heard not, not so much audibly, but it ought to spread outside the building. Boy, those people down there have a wonderful time when they come in to worship. And I want to be a part of that. That's a magnetic draw, isn't it? It really is. And so our home church should be a place where we can enjoy fellowship. And in Acts chapter 2 and verse 41 and 42, then those who gladly received the word, were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And, and this, out of that experience, here's what happened. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. There it is. In the breaking, uh, breaking of bread and in prayers. It's not bad to have a meal in church. Amen. That's part of our fellowship. That's good. That's great. And so, to have things in common, to have a companion, some of the greatest friends we have, and you can testify to this fact too, are found inside the church, right? That's right. We can share our burdens, we can share our joys, and we're bound together in a companionship that cannot be found outside the family of God. We communicate with each other. And I just want to ask you, my friend, today, are you part of the fellowship? Are you part of the fellowship? Not just technically with our name on the roll. Not just because we've been baptized. But because at one point in our life, we have been born again by the Spirit of Almighty God and have been placed into the family of Almighty God by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the way we become a part of the fellowship. Okay? So I wonder, are you a part of the fellowship today by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? You see, our church should be a place where our needs can be met. The church should be a place where we can be forgiven. The church fellowship should be a place where we can feel welcome and where we can have 
fellowship. That's what the church ought to be. And I think I find that implicit in this passage today. You know, when I thought about coming home or homecoming, I thought about this song that you're familiar with. I wandered far away from God. Now I'm coming home. The paths of sin too long I've trod. Lord, I'm coming home. I've wasted many precious years, and now I'm coming home. I now repent with bitter tears. Lord, I'm coming home. I'm tired of sin and straying, Lord, now I'm coming home. I'll trust thy love, believe thy word. Lord, I'm coming home. My soul is sick. My heart is sore. Now I'm coming home. My strength renew. My hope restore. Now I'm coming home. And the refrain goes like this. Coming home, coming home. Nevermore to roam. Open wide thine arms of love. Lord, I'm coming home. I wonder, my friend, today, do you need, by faith in Jesus Christ, for sure, to come into the family of God, and you've never done that? Maybe you've never done that. Maybe you're just trying to be good and religious, but you've never come to faith in Jesus Christ. Why don't you just come home by faith in Him and be a part of the fellowship and family of God? Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we thank you so much for this wonderful.